Welcome to Casting Hope, a sermon podcast of Hope Presbyterian Church in Columbus, Ohio. My name is Joe Hack, lead pastor at Hope, and we are so glad you're listening in wherever you are. In this moment of social distancing, we hope that our audio and streaming resources meet you where you are at and help you stay connected to God and to His promises. Okay, I want to invite you to find your seats again and to find a Bible if you have one and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28 this morning. We're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. The Apostle Paul, as we've learned, says in Galatians that the Holy Spirit will grow his people in specific ways, ways actually that look a lot like Jesus, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Last week we looked at faithfulness, and so this week we're going to be exploring what it means to grow in gentleness. And to do this, we're going to take a tour of the New Testament, of many of the places where the word gentle or gentleness shows up. But I think the best place for us to start is Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. I'll read and you can follow along. This is God's word. It says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, with my words and with the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Holy Spirit, would you empower this time of preaching so that we would not just learn information, but that we would encounter you, Jesus, the risen Savior in your word, and that it would transform us. Open our hearts if they're closed. Soften our hearts if they're hard. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this week I devoured a book written by a fellow PCA pastor named Scott Sauls named A Gentle Answer. Subtitle, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. So I highly recommend this book, but it got me thinking, even as I was reading it, in this age, and especially this year, is gentleness what we need? I recently heard a leader summarize the first half of 2020 this way. The coronavirus violated our sense of safety. The economic collapse violated our sense of of security. The jobless claims violated our sense of contribution. The racial killings violated our sense of justice. The lack of a clear path forward violates our sense of stability and even hope. By the way, this is an election year. So in 2020, a year that already feels like a decade, Is gentleness what we really need? 
In some ways, gentleness feels not only ineffective right now, but maybe even inappropriate for a time such as this. I mean, if I if you were to ask me uh, what is most needed today, I'd probably come up with many words. Resolve, nerve, conviction, knowledge. Gentleness is not something that I would reach for intuitively. I mean, I have a hunch I'm not alone in this. I think we don't instinctively reach for gentleness when we consider the problems that we're facing today. Instinctively, I think we reach for what I call the big three, fight, flight, and freeze. That's our instinct, isn't it? Uh, Some of us instinctively fight when we're in a stressful situation. When our Facebook friend says something infuriating, we instinctively want to crush them with our response or we can't sleep at night because we haven't yet thought of that crushing response. Others of us instinctively flee when we're in a stressful circumstance. We don't fight our friends and family, um, especially on social media. We just mute them. And then others of us are just frozen. Uh, Some of us are frozen in denial about 2020. Uh, We're the dog sipping coffee in the burning building saying, everything is fine. This is okay. Uh, Others of us are frozen in despair and anxiety. Each day feels overwhelming, and so we just tap out. But how many of us wake up, check our social media, look at our news feed, and pray, Lord, make me gentle today? Make me gentle with others today. Make me gentle with my friends. Make me gentle with my family. Make me gentle with my child. Make me gentle with my spouse. Make me gentle with my coworker. Make me gentle with my boss. Make me gentle with my enemy. And honestly, if it hadn't been for our study on the fruit of the Spirit this season of our life, I know I would not be talking to you about gentleness today. But Paul who knew social upheaval, who wrote most of his letters in prison, reminds us that gentleness is at the heart of Christianity always. Because gentleness is at the heart of Jesus always. Dr. Dane Ortland points out how in all 3,779 of the verses of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which recount so much of what Jesus said and so much of what Jesus did, there is only one verse, one single verse, where Jesus himself reveals his heart. And remember, the heart in Scripture is who you are. It's not what you do or what you say. It's who you are. It's the core center of who you are. And so what is that verse? Well, we heard it read in Matthew 11, verse 29. Jesus says to us, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle, there's that word, and lowly, where? In heart. I love what Ortland says. He says, in the one place In the Bible, where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who He is, we are not told that He is austere and demanding in heart. We're not even told that He's joyful and generous in His heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, His surprising claim 
is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Yes, let's allow Jesus to set the terms. He says he is gentle. He says at his heart, you will find gentleness. And here's the mind-blowing truth that Scripture reveals to all of us. All who trust in Jesus with empty hands of faith have the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit then ensures us that we have Jesus. Biblically speaking, we are united to Jesus. And so it should be no surprise that the Apostle Paul says that gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit who unites us to Jesus, the gentle one. Paul tells us that the gentleness of Jesus will grow in his people. But what does gentle mean and how can we grow in it? I want to suggest two words to help hang our thoughts on this morning. Recover and release. First, we need to recover genuine gentleness. And then we need to release that genuine gentleness into this fractured, polarized, hurting world. So first, we need to recover genuine gentleness. To grow in it, the kind of gentleness that characterizes the very heart of Jesus, we first need to recover it. What is gentleness? And we do this by doing two things. Recognizing the counterfeit and then recognizing the genuine thing. Let's just first spend some time recognizing the counterfeits of gentleness. So first, I just want us to think about this. Gentleness is a word that has suffered from meaning drift, hasn't it? Over the centuries. I mean, what is meant in the ancient world by the word gentleness is very different than I think what many of us sort of think of when we hear the word gentleness. And so like fool's gold... Uh, these counterfeits that we're about to explore may look gentle on the outside, but they are not the gentleness that defines Jesus. And so let's go through three counterfeits that I see. The first is naivete. Naivete. The first counterfeit of genuine gentleness is naivete. We think to be gentle is to be naive, don't we? To have our head in the sand about hard questions and about hard realities. Hard questions like, how is it that the church... God's people can behave so badly. Questions like, why do terrible things happen to genuinely generous people? People with integrity. Or questions like this, how should my faith interact with the world and with politics? These hard questions to answer. Or hard realities like suffering. Hard realities like injustice. Hard realities like abuse. We think to be a gentle Christian is to be naive to these realities. But God has a different vision for gentleness. I mean, just listen to James chapter 3, verse 13. And in all these cases, you can follow along by flipping to this page, or you can listen along. That's perfectly fine too. So James chapter 3, verse 13 says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By their good conduct, let them show their works in the meekness or gentleness. Meekness and gentleness, same word. Of wisdom, the gentleness of wisdom. So apparently, to be gentle is to be wise. Wisdom is the art of godly living. 
It requires us, wisdom does, to be sensitive to the way the world works, which includes the world's profound brokenness and the world's profound beauty. We're sensitive to both because that's the way the world is. God made the world good. The world has been broken and fractured by sin and by the fall. And the, and the world is going to be remade and renewed by Jesus. And a wise person knows that and is therefore sensitive or is, is in touch with the brokenness of the world and the beauty of the world. How the world works. A gentle person is not naive, according to James. In fact, they have more overlap with the person in despair than the person in denial. Why is that? Because we are not naive to how deeply broken and fractured this good world has been by our sin. We're not naive. So, counterfeit one, gentleness is naivete. Let's scratch that. Counterfeit number two, Niceness. Gentleness is niceness. We think to be gentle is to be nice. But it's been said that niceness can be in opposition to God. <laughs> uh, think about it. When we respond to injustice or suffering with a surface niceness, uh, then we are out of step with God's heart in that moment. And if we read the Gospels carefully, we will see that we are out of step with God's Son, Jesus, in that moment. I want you to listen or read along to Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It goes like this. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life? Or to kill. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. These religious men were, by all accounts, nice men. They were sitting in church with good manners. But they were against God. They were depersonalizing a suffering image bearer in opposition to Jesus. They wanted to trap Jesus, to catch him working on the Sabbath. And in the process, missed not only Jesus, but missed the whole meaning of the Sabbath, which is for rest and restoration. And so Jesus, it says here, got angry. The same Jesus who is gentle in heart got angry and brought restoration to this man's hand. This tells us two things. Number one, it's possible to be nice and against God. And at the, and at the same time, it also means it's possible to be gentle like Jesus and have a righteous anger. Only Jesus has a perfect anger. And we all know that human anger so quickly spirals. But it has to be said biblically that we can be gentle and get angry at injustice, suffering, and sin. Let's not separate what God unites. 
That's counterfeit two, niceness. Counterfeit three, non-confrontation. So we think that gentleness is non-confrontation. We think a gentle person never stirs the pot. But listen to Galatians, Paul, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is just a few verses after he says gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Listen to what he writes. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. There's that word. He said he warns us, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. What this means is that it's possible to confront a person with the goal of restoration in their sin and yet do so with a spirit of gentleness. It's not only possible, it's commanded of God's people to do it by the apostle. We tend to separate these two things, don't we? Um, but, the, but Paul breaks down this false choice. Gentleness does not mean we lose our backbone and our ability to have hard conversations. I mean, here's an explosive idea. Are you ready for this? It's an ancient idea, but it's explosive. Christians, we can disagree and be gentle at the same time. And so to recover genuine gentleness, we need to first be wary of the counterfeits. Naivete, niceness, and non-confrontation. But that's a negative approach. What we need now is a positive vision of what gentleness is. We need to move there. We need to recognize, in other words, genuine gentleness. The best definition of gentleness that I've read comes from scholar Timothy George, who says this. Gentleness is strength under control. Power harnessed in loving service and respectful actions. Can I, can, I, can I say that again to you? Gentleness is strength under control, power harnessed in loving service and respectful actions. I think of Paul's description of Jesus in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5 through 11, and it goes like this. Though Jesus Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in the glory to the glory of God, the father. Now notice something. There are two things on full display in this uh, passage here. The power of Jesus. I mean, he is God. He is God. He is the creator of all. He stands over all. Every knee will bow. One day, willingly or unwillingly, because he's the Lord. And then there is the harnessing of that power for service, even death on a cross. Both are true about Jesus. The cross, if you think about it, was a ferociously gentle act. Think about it. Jesus could have called down the host of heaven to destroy the Roman soldiers and the jeering crowd, which includes us. But he didn't. 
Instead, he did what he came here to do. Die on the cross for us. For us, his enemies. He came in power as Lord of all. Not to be served, but to serve. This is true gentleness. In Proverbs 15.1 goes like this. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Maybe you've heard that before. In Jesus' life, as you read the Gospels, we see Jesus enacting that proverb over and over again. But on the cross, Jesus embodied it. The cross of Jesus. In the cross, Jesus turns away the wrath that we justly deserve by his ferociously and costly, gentle act of the cross. That is gentleness defined. It's genuine gentleness. Power harnessed in loving service. Isn't that the cross? It's fascinating. Outside the Bible, the Greek word for gentle was used to describe a tamed horse. A gentle horse is not a weak horse. Neither is it a naive, nice, or non-confrontational horse. No, a gentle horse is a horse whose power is harnessed to loving service. Have you ever stood behind a wild horse or an untrained horse? It's terrifying. Try standing behind a wild horse. How about a gentle horse? It's unbelievable because you know that one kick could kill you. But you also know that horse never will. One scholar says it this way, and I'm quoting, the Greek word prautes, or gentleness, occurs in non-biblical literature to describe a horse that someone has trained to submit to a bridle. It pictures strength under control, specifically the Holy Spirit's control. The evidence of this attitude is a deliberate placing of oneself under divine authority. Um, I've been recovering a lost passion of mine in the past week or so, and that's tennis. Um, it was my life for about a decade, and then from burnout, I sort of set my rackets aside, literally and figuratively, and I really haven't touched them since. Uh, but lately, I've been going out with my boys, and we've been having so much fun. Well, let me just say, it takes a lot of loving restraint uh, to hit soft balls back to them when we're playing, since everything in me wants to crush the ball, uh, and for various reasons, to impress my boys, to relive the glory days because I'm insecure, all kinds of reasons. But when I hit that ball back gently, I am being gentle. I'm being gentle. It's power restrained. It's like a horse. I'm sensitive to my bridle. I'm, I'm sensitive to the Holy Spirit who gives me a calling, and that calling is to help heal and build up as a dad. And so to grow in gentleness, we need to recover genuine gentleness, which is power harnessed in loving service. Okay, after we recover that genuine gentleness, what's next? Well, remember the second word? We recover and now we release. We release. We are called and enabled by God himself to release the gentleness of Jesus 
to others. Remember, Croatian theologian Miroslav Volf, he says that Christians stand midstream. Midstream. Um, All of God's gifts to us, including the gentleness of Jesus, they don't flow to us. They flow through us. The gentleness of Jesus we receive, and it goes through us to others. Too many Christians have an end-stream theology, and what we need is a mid-stream theology. We receive gentleness in order to release gentleness. Amen? That's what we're called to do. Now, why release it? Well, Scripture gives us all kinds of reasons. If you do a word study on gentleness, you'll find all kinds of reasons to release gentleness into this world and to set it loose as if it's our primary calling. Listen, I'll give you just a few. Number one, because genuine gentleness is the mark of a genuine Christian. Did you know that? Listen to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13, which says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, which is gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. In other words, if you're chosen by God, if you're holy, which means set apart by God, If you are loved by God, which is what beloved means, then you will put on gentleness. That's what Paul says. You don't don't become chosen. You don't become beloved. You don't become holy by being gentle. It's because you're chosen. It's because you're loved. It's because you're holy, declared so, that you become gentle. As it's been said, the judgment, the future judgment, has become past tense on the cross. Why? So that we can therefore be gentle. We receive the gentleness of Jesus on the cross. So that we can be gentle. It's the mark of receiving his gentleness. Number two. Because genuine gentleness is the pathway to real joy. I don't know if we believe this. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 5 verse 5. Blessed or happy are the meek. Blessed are the meek or the gentle. For they shall inherit the earth. All of the commands of of Scripture, all of the commands of God should be seen in this light. All of them. They are invitations to the abundant life. Life as God designed it. Same with the call to be gentle. Number three, because genuine gentleness is the essence of true leadership. I mean, if Jesus, the most life-giving leader in the history of the world, king of the universe, the good king, was gentle at heart, he says, gentle at heart, then any leadership model that doesn't have gentleness at its core and at its heart is bound to wound and hurt and destroy. Uh, This is what Paul says about leadership in 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. Quote, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Genuine gentleness is at the core of good leadership. 
Four, because genuine gentleness is central to your life purpose as a follower of Jesus. Gentleness is, in other words, a non-negotiable. It's central to our calling. Uh, Paul says this, and I'm quoting, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Okay, think of this. I'm urging you, Paul says, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which is another way of saying, in step with your calling. I want you to walk in a way that coheres with what it was that you were called to do, namely, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, you would think that Paul would be cynical, right, about being a Jesus follower, as a prisoner, as a prisoner for his crime of following Jesus and and starting churches that were Jesus-centered. You would think he'd be cynical about the call of following Jesus. But instead, he urges us to be and remain gentle and humble and patient, even with, especially with, our enemies. Why? Because it is worthy or in line with how God called us. How did God call us? Through the gentleness of Jesus. Think about how Jesus called all of his disciples in the Gospels. And then think about how Jesus called you into discipleship. In every single case, it was with profound gentleness. I mean, think about it. When you were a sinner, Jesus says, while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. While you were his enemy, Christ died for you. Now, that is gentleness. And with that gentleness and with that patience that Jesus has shown you, we now release that to others, especially those who are our enemies. The hardest to love in your life. In that book I was referring to, A Gentle Answer, I read about the difference between two famous people of history. A woman was reporting her interactions with both of them. And we'll call them Person A, in person B. Both person A and person B were impressive, powerful people. But listen to what she said. She said, person A was the most clever person I've ever met. But person B made me feel like the most clever person in the world. I'll call this the gentleness effect. And it's a good test. How do people, especially those I disagree with, but even those that are closest to me, my loved ones, how do people feel? Yes, I said feel. How do people feel after being around you? Do they feel lifted up? Do they feel heard? Do they feel like you were gentle with them, patient with them? If God is going to grow you in your gentleness, then they will, in fact, experience the gentleness of Jesus through you. Hope, let's be a gentle church. Again, we know gentleness doesn't mean non-confrontation. We know gentleness does not mean we're a naive church. We know that being a gentle church does not mean that we're just a nice church. Gentleness is so much better. It's power harnessed into loving service.
Can we be a gentle church, one that recognizes the genuine thing in Jesus and then releases it to Columbus? Can we be a gentle answer that turns away wrath in this cultural moment? Can we be a midstream community that allows the gentleness of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection for sinners like us to flow through us, to not just land on us, but to flow through us. Let's pray for that. Lord, I pray that you would indeed make us a gentle church because we are a church that extends the welcome of Jesus who is gentle at heart. Oh Lord, this uh, this this reality this, that you're calling us to gentleness is, is so, I think, compelling and yet also challenging as we search our hearts. Would you do the work required in us to grow here, to grow here in our gentleness. And it's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our church and for more resources like this, visit our website at hopechurchcolumbus.org.